Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Well, it is officially game week. Oh, yeah. Week zero. It is here. I said on off the bench, uh, we are counting down the minutes until Vandy, Hawaii on Saturday night. As of this recording, give or take, it's we're like 126 hours and 17 minutes away from SEC football. So cheers mm-hmm. to that. That's good. If you'd consider that SEC football, sure, yes. that'll be young. Uh, the air quotes were implied. Take that for what it is. We're greatly looking forward to that. You know what else I am actually fired up for? I thought about this a lot over the course of the last 24 hours since we've seen this announcement. Mm-hmm. John Rice Plumley is Gus Malzahn's starting quarterback at UCF. Oh, yes. I have said before, I want a time machine. I want to replay John Rice's Plumley. I want to replay the career of John Rice Plumley a decade ago, maybe, maybe 20 years ago, and just see mm-hmm. how that would have gone. But I am very excited to see this at UCF. Uh, maybe maybe that it's, it's going to be better to see him not in the SEC and just torch group of five defenses left and right. Mm-hmm. But I find myself extremely intrigued maybe i'm a little bit biased being here in orlando but that will be worth the price of admission and i don't know if that's going to live up to my very high post 2019 expectations of what john rice Plumley was but i can live in that world and think that gus's next great quarterback is john rice Plumley, and that's a good thing we all need yes that. i'm proud of you that you didn't bring up him tearing up lsu uh, but yes, I obviously have been a stand for him since that day. And it's very funny to watch the uh, UCF fans go through a Gus Malzahn quarterback battle, which feels like, okay, you know, very obvious guys right in front of you. Okay, here's this other guy who's mobile. So in my heart, I knew John Rice was always going to win this job. Kept trying to tell them that. They were not trying to hear it. And then the last second, he threw the patented Gus curveball. He was just like, oh, there's this freshman who might start. And they all like took him literally because they've never been through this song and dance before. So they were like, oh my gosh. Oh, what's he talking about? It's like, guys, it's always the guy I thought it was. Come on. it's He was never... John Rice Plumley was calling to him from the mountains. He's a Gus quarterback through and through. I, I just, I don't need to see him throw the football. I don't really care about that. Ever. Yeah. I, yeah. May, may, maybe if UCF just goes 2019 Kentucky, Lynn Bowden. <laughs> yeah. I, you don't need to throw the ball. Be, be a glorified service academy. I don't care. Whatever. That's that's fine. We, we can make this we can make this worth watching. Uh, we're, we're not going to talk a lot of UCF on today's podcast. Um, if I run this thing according to plan. We will not be talking any more UCF. We do have a great show lined up, though. Chris Doring, he's going to join us a little bit, talk Florida, SEC receivers, a very bold Kentucky prediction that he has, and more. Then we're going to discuss car horror stories in figuring it out, because don't you know what? I went through some stuff in the past week. Mm -hmm. But first... SEC East Crystal Ball. Go back and listen to the West Crystal Ball that we did the other day. We ran through the order finish, records, pivotal games, upsets, storylines, everything in between. That's exactly what we are going to do with the East. So, William, order of finish. I think you could probably guess where I'm going with this, but I'll say it. I'll say it. You, you give me your biggest surprise before I get to anything. Your biggest surprise based on order of finish. Does that work? Okay. Okay. Georgia, 11-1 and one overall, 7-1 and one in the SEC. Second, 
in the East. Tennessee at nine and three overall, five and three in the SEC. Then we have Kentucky in third, eight and four overall, four and four against the SEC. South Carolina, seven and five overall, four and four against SEC competition. Florida at five, coming in at seven and five overall, three and five against the SEC. Mizzou at six, six and six overall, two and six in the SEC. And then Vandy, pulling up the rear, two and 10 overall, oh, and eight in the SEC. TBD on whether or not I'm going to have Vandy winning the season opener against Hawaii. I think I am. I think I'm going to do it. Believe in something, man. You know, yeah. gotta get to. that that pre week zero scouting done. Really get the whole report out there, analyze all the facts. Um, to your point, well, first off, we can rule out that you were the Vandy first place voter, I think. Was well, not uh, me. <laughs> second, um, I think you have Tennessee probably a little bit higher than some people we've talked about before. So it's not like surprising to me, Um, but I I really like Tennessee as well this year, but for a general college football fan, I think that you see Tennessee at nine and three with a winning record in the SEC. And that's a little bit bullish. Uh, And then, you know, I think, I think the rest are kind of according to plan. Um, Was was that the surprise you're looking for? Yeah. I, I think that's kind of, if there's some initial, Whoa, like that's, that's a little bit of a surprise. It's probably, Spots two and five. I think Florida fans are not used to seeing their team projected to finish fifth in the East. Usually mm-hmm. that's even last year. I was I was higher on Florida. I went back and looked at my Florida crystal ball. I had them at nine and three. I know people that I talked to that were really, really low on Florida. They turned out to be right. So there was still at least some sort of discrepancy between what Florida was going to be versus who they became. Um, also, Georgia at 11 and one instead of 12 and 0, I think mm-hmm. would be kind of the thing like, oh, wow, that's... <laughs> bit of a surprise, but obviously if you've listened to the show and if you've kind of listened to, to the way that we've, we've talked about upsets and whatnot, and you know about the Georgia-Tennessee deal, I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about Tennessee beating Georgia and Athens and giving the balls their first top five victory in 17 years. That's the biggest preseason upset I have, and we're going to talk a lot more about that. So really don't want to dig into that too, too much more, too much more than we already have and already will. I think the East will be... Sh- Pretty straightforward. I do have some chaos in there, though. Tennessee, as I just said, beating Georgia, but losing to LSU, Alabama, and at South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So that would mean fall start off 4-0. They lose to LSU and Bama. All of a sudden, probably with where they would be, I'm guessing they would fall out of the top 25. They would get into the top 25 after that start and then fall out of the top 25 and then winning five of six to end the season, which... That just sounds right for Tennessee because even when, when they're good, that's the way it typically falls with the way that the rivalries are are on the schedule and all that stuff. I think even though you've got a couple of nice pieces in that front seven, Byron Young, Jeremy Banks, preseason All-SEC guys, that run defense might be really, really bad. I compare Tennessee to Ole Miss a lot because stylistically they have a lot of similarities from what they're wanting to do on offense, the hypo levy connection, all those different things. I think they're one year apart kind of last year, Ole Miss improved a lot defensively, but didn't have a top 100 run defense yet. They still finished with 10 regular season wins that could not have happened in your dad's sec. It just couldn't have, but can Tennessee maybe follow a blueprint similar to that and go to a new year six bowl? I think so. I think that is something that they are capable of. Nine and three is in that coin flip territory when it comes to going to a New Year's Six Bowl. If you have a win like Georgia on your resume and that holds up really well, maybe that would be the thing that could be a deal breaker for Tennessee. There's potential 
for this nine and three, this nine and three for Tennessee to feel a lot different than a nine win Butch season. Because if Tennessee has this high flying offense, which in my opinion has top five potential nationally, all SEC quarterback, and you've got a win, not just over Georgia, but Kirby's elite version of Georgia. That's a key caveat. Those moments will be promising and it'll be the type of season where it's essentially the next best thing from having playoff life heading into conference championship weekend. That's the goal for everybody. If you have that, you've got a a potential seat at the table. That's all you can ask for with 60 minutes to decide that. But this is the next thing below that. Even though the scenario that I just mapped out is Tennessee essentially being out of a playoff spot at the midway point of the season with two losses, in theory, I still think that season would be an incredible sigh of relief for Tennessee fans and would perhaps elevate expectations to unrealistic levels after that. But just in the meantime, I do think that would be the, the, the best type of year that you can hope for given the questions that are on defense there. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And like we've talked about, you know, the Georgia thing is so hard, right? Because we've seen it every year during the Kirby outside of the first year, obviously every year, it's like we have to pick one or maybe two losses for Georgia, but we just can't figure out where they're going to be. Like for instance, there was a South Carolina, South Carolina loss a couple of years ago that if you had said that in the preseason, everybody would have thrown tomatoes at you. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, you know, 12 games, 12 game schedule. Um, they obviously also have Oregon on a conference. So you have your eight, you have your not eight, you have your SEC games, and then you have an additional game, which makes, you know, eight games that you feel like could be like a dog fight. And so, I feel like, you know, Tennessee, I feel like it is a game that they'll have scheduled for sure. But over the course of the grind of the schedule, you know, we're, we've been very pro Georgia. We're not doing the whole sky is falling. Oh, the whole defense is gone thing that, you know, some people are. But I think that you have to pick a loss or two in there for Georgia just because, you know, last year was a perfect season. Right. And they, they did lose a little bit. And the rest of the SEC East is, is coming up. You know, we talked about how South Carolina has never had an all SC quarterback. Now they have Spencer Rattler, and he could be the fourth best quarterback in the division, just based on how things play it out. You know, it's uh, were you, were you about to say something? I was going to say, Kirby, you say like we, we got to pencil in Georgia for a loss. I don't necessarily know that, that you have to. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I, I'm really tempted to default to Kirby is 27 and two against the SEC East since 2017. Mm -hmm. Pretty darn good. Everybody Mm -hmm. says that Georgia kind of has this trip up game. Do they really? Because they lost to South Carolina that year. And that's the game that kind of stands out and and Fromm throws the three picks. And it's like, what in the world is wrong with Georgia? They still end up getting to an SEC championship and ultimately get their brains beaten by LSU. Nonetheless, it was still one of those games where you're just like, all right, you know, this is this, this, I guess this is just who Georgia is. And it's like, well, they're not really that they lost to a Florida team that quite frankly was better than them in 2020. I thought that Georgia finished the season better at that point in the season. Florida was undoubtedly the better team. And mm-hmm. Georgia's quarterback situation certainly helped that. But to me, I, I, I've i gotten away from this default. Well, Georgia's got to tr- get tripped up at least once. Do they? I mean, beating Alabama is a different discussion. If you want to say, if they had something on the schedule where LSU was a preseason top 10 team and Georgia had to go into LSU and you say, yeah, Georgia's going to lose to LSU. Is that really falling flat on their face? You know, going back to that game 2018, where LSU just beat the doors off them on that game in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And was that Georgia 
being, oh yeah, you know what? There's always going to find a way to ruin ruin things for themselves. So like, well, no, not really. They still went to an SEC championship and had a chance to make a college football playoff as a result of that. So I don't know. I, I've kind of gotten away from that a little bit more. And I, my way of saying that I think Georgia gets upset once isn't my way of saying, well, you know, they're, they're just always going to find a way to, to screw things up. I just think that the matchup sets up really well. And I look at some of these things on paper and that's what I default to. Well, I'd say it like this. It's not about Georgia. I'm honestly comparing them to Alabama at this point because at yeah. the end of the day, you've done this at this point for long enough to know that for Alabama, it's like they're going to go undefeated. Maybe they're going to have one loss. That's going to be really hard to predict because they're on that echelon. Ohio State, another great example. You know, every game they're going to be favored pretty much. I mean, so you, you, you're going to have to pick an upset, uh, an upset for them to have a loss. But at the same time, you know that stats would tell you that will, you know, like I said, Alabama lost to A&M last year. Uh, first, first non-top 15, <laughs> non-top 15 team that they've lost to since Stephen Garcia, 2010, South Carolina. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and they also beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. So it's like, it's just hard to predict in the SEC, in college football, you know, we're still dealing with 18 to, if you're talking BYU, 26 year old kids. And so at the end of the day, you know, they could be a little bit inconsistent and there, there can be a game. So like I said, it's not about Kirby. It's not about Georgia. I'm comparing them at this point. It's really a compliment to Alabama, Ohio state, the older Oklahoma teams that would go in and just beat the doors off everybody. It's just hard to get the best game out of every team and just come out unscathed because then you have to give your best self every week as well. We'll circle back to some Georgia stuff at the end, but I want to get to, mm-hmm. to some other teams in here. So one of the upsets that I have playing out in the East, South Carolina beating Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I have the Gamecocks on a wild ride. Gamecock fans, Ole Miss fans. Those are the two teams where buckle in. If this plays out the way that I have this projected, uh, it's it's going to be all over the place. It kind of harks back to what we talked about in Bold and Brash Heisman edition that we did last week. Again, go listen to that podcast. That's at the end of the SEC West Crystal Ball pod that we did. I have South Carolina starting 0-4 in SEC play. Mm-hmm. That on the surface sounds, whoa, why, why would South Carolina, after all the offseason buzz we've talked about, the ultimate good vibes team in college football, why would they start off 0-4 in SEC play? Where's the win coming from? At Arkansas, home against Georgia, and 105 stars. At Kentucky, home against a Those are all preseason top 25 teams. I hate the matchup in the trenches for South Carolina in those first two games at Arkansas, home against Georgia. Even if South Carolina improves on the defensive line, we see Zach Pickens, Jordan Birch, these former five stars live up to that billing. That is still an incredibly daunting task of having to beat those two teams in those areas. Winning at Kentucky. Mm. Not there yet. Not quite there yet. South Carolina did a lot of things really well last year. It did not show up for true road games. Four SEC road games, lost them all. Only Mizzou was within three scores. Okay, Had the game-winning field goal at ECU. We forget about that. I still they think- sure did. That, and that game was kind of like, okay, well, we know South Carolina's got a long way to go, but at least I got it out of this with a win. We knew the quarterback situation was a total disaster at that point of the season. But, you know, you just figure things out if you're a first-year coach coming off of a 3-1 season. I still think that winning on the road in this league is a different beast. It just mm-hmm. is. I don't think South Carolina does that until November. Not, not against SEC competition. Having said that, here's the roller coaster. I have Gamecocks finishing with five consecutive SEC wins, including a victory at Florida. Mm-hmm. A team that won't necessarily have an obvious advantage up front in some of the Florida stuff we're going to get to with, with, with Chris Doring about them in the trenches and how that could be a potential issue. 
I have Florida coming off of an emotional win at AM. And then I wonder about their depth hurting them and what would be a letdown spot. Maybe similar vibes to a 2018 Mizzou type of letdown that they had where Drew Locke just went into the swamp and threw the ball all over the place. Mm-hmm. And Mizzou was like, wait, Mizzou's really going to beat this Florida team? Like this Florida team that's going to a New Year's Six Bowl? Really? That was just a, a strange kind of out of nowhere type of game. South Carolina winning at Florida and beating Tennessee a week later. That's because remember, that's the other upset that we got. Would confirm my belief that Shane Beamer is excellent at weathering the midseason storm, an underrated skill if you're going to be a college football coach. This mm-hmm. also suggests that I believe Spencer Rattler will do what I talked about the other day, that he will work through those frustrating times. People will want to say that he is totally cooked after an 0-4 start to SEC play. They're going to totally dismiss the likely possibility of South Carolina being an underdog in all four of those games. But Rattler, as Beamer says, has won 15 consecutive starts. You know, we forget that. For all the frustration that he had in 2021, it's wild to think that his last loss as a starter was in the first week of October 2020. That is a long time ago. I think quarterback wins are super overrated, so that's not my way of trying to prop him up. But I am really interested to see what Rattler looks like if and when you know Jalen Carter sacks him three times with a three-man rush. Those situations where he thinks, how can this possibly fail? I'm not used to these types of surroundings, which again, I think people are saying that they're not going to be nearly as good at South Carolina. There's there's a middle ground there. I think they're going to be better than those people are saying, but maybe obviously not good, not good to the level that they were at Oklahoma, at least in terms of offensive line play. It's my most interesting wild card in the division this year, right? Because there's no guarantee that they can get out of that stretch unscathed. That's going to be a true defining time for South Carolina with Shane Beamer early on to figure out how good is he at making sure that his team post year one, when the the vibes aren't seemingly bad and those have escaped, how does he hold the whole thing together? That's not a given. It's really not. If there is another wild card in the SEC East, it's pretty clear, in my opinion, Anthony Richardson. Mm Mm-hmm. We'll talk about Florida a little bit more in depth. I won't, I won't go crazy into it here, but I see LSU and Florida following similar paths with their year one coaches. Like the defensive coordinator hires, don't necessarily have a ton of faith in those units overall year one, worried about the lockdown corners. Sometimes it's going to feel like Anthony Richardson has to do it all. I, I don't know that he's going to be ready for that. And I hear all the buzz. I'm excited about it. I hope we get a full dose of him. I hope he stays healthy, but I don't think that he has that. I'm better than I used to be game until LSU shout out to McGraw. Um, what I think that shows is how different things are last year with him as a decision maker versus in 2022 with Napier getting those regular reps where he actually gets the chance to work through some of that stuff. And Billy Napier gets to show in that LSU game that he's kind of come full circle with Anthony Richardson, or at least with Anthony Richardson gets to show that he's come full circle. Billy Napier gets to show the world that he can ride a Ferrari without crashing it into the streetlight. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. It's easier said than done. Patience, patience, patience for Florida fans. We've talked about that a lot, how important that is. And for everyone that says, well, you know, Mac and Mullen, they won 10 games in year one. They both maximized the potential of their QB one. We're talking about Will Greer here. We're not talking about Treon Harris for Florida. Definitely mm-hmm. not talking about him. I, I would say 
The division is in a different place now. And so is the roster that Billy Napier inherited. So a seven and five mark for Florida can actually be a major positive, especially if it coincides with like a top five, top six class for Florida in Napier's mm-hmm. first full cycle. I know you're skeptical of that, Will, but they're at least sitting there at the top 10, in the top 10 right now, making headway. Now the facility is open. Who knows what that's going to yield by the time December comes around. Even though that seven and five season would mean a loss to Kentucky, South Carolina, and Tennessee, and Florida fans would take it on the chin, I think that would still be a seven and five that could have a lot of encouraging things moving forward. So I have Kentucky winning it in the swamp still. Hold on really quick. Can I talk about South Carolina really quick? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should have interrupted me minutes ago, Will. I'm sorry. You said we were to get back to Florida. (laughs) Okay. Let me just say this really quick about South Carolina. This is the hardest SEC East schedule I think I've ever seen. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this. I'm I'm sorry. I'm throwing off your flow here, but I just want to kind of back up what you're saying because both of us are pretty pro Spencer Rattler here. In the West, they play Arkansas and A&M. They obviously play Georgia because they're in the East. And they're at Clemson. Yep. So this is going to be one of those classic SEC teams that people are like, oh, oh, yes, Mr. Rattler, you won five games. I knew you were overrated. Not five, sorry. You went five and, or seven and five, I meant. Oh, you won seven games. You're so overrated. Oh, well, you were the number one player. Like, da, da, da. It's like, dude, which of those teams do you think? They should be go through it. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> my point. If you are going to, if you're going to dismiss South Carolina in early October and say that Shane Beamer is a fraud. And I know there was a lot of talk about Stoops talking about the, the, the shades, the, the shades comment that seemed like it was directed <laughs> right at Shane Beamer. And if you're going to be one of these people that dismisses South Carolina early on, t- tell me this in year two, how many games is South Carolina going to be favored to win? I, five. I mean, yeah. I, and, and the regular season over under, what's the regular season over under? I think it's six. I could be wrong on that. It's I might have. Yeah. Um, but if, if we have them with this Breeze's outlook, having to win two surprising games and pull off a couple of upsets just to get to seven and five, let's let's be realistic about expectations here. Just because you are the team that's that's on the rise doesn't mean that like anything less than nine and three is some sort of, like, oh, hey, you're not living up to your potential. We're, we're, we're laying out why the path is difficult. And even in the East, the perceived easier division, which it is, 12 mm-hmm. of 13, the SEC titles coming from one division suggests that it is a little bit different. But I do think, though, the path is difficult because the schedule is difficult. And South Carolina is going to have to find a way to navigate this or else, or else, it's a season that can fall apart. It really can. Yeah, as much so- as I believe in Shane Beamer, it can fall apart. I'm I'm fascinated by that because, like you said, we have the big um, <laughs> the battle of the programs against Mark Stoops here at Kentucky, right? And so, like you said, like this is a season that could look like it's getting away from them. They go to Kentucky, they have this bye week, then they they host A and M. It's going to be really interesting to see where A and M is at that point in the season. We'll see. That'll obviously be after the Miami game, all that different stuff. So South Carolina, located. This is a, a really, really, really like for storylines. Great year for the SEC. Um, okay, sorry. You want to go back to Florida? Um, I have Kentucky winning in the swamp. Okay. There we go. Which consecutive years of Kentucky beating Florida hasn't happened since when? Jimmy Carter? Duh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) It's not even a debate at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, That prediction 
I made before we found out via Matt Jones that Chris Rodriguez is expected to be suspended for the first three or four games. Again, mm-hmm. TBD kind of on, on the way that that plays out. Maybe there's an appeals process. I, so we don't know officially, but if I'm assuming that Chris Rodriguez is going to be out for that week two game, it's significant, obviously, because it's Kentucky's best returning player from a 10 win team. And so much of what Will Levis does is predicated on play action. But the cupboard isn't bare because Kentucky planned for this, right? Mm-hmm. Ramon Jefferson was a third-team FCS All-American at Sam Houston State, a guy that we probably haven't talked about enough with this offseason outlook with Kentucky. Dee Beckwith was this man without a position at Tennessee, but has a lot of promise. And then Cavassier Smoke is still there as well at Kentucky. They have options to be able to work through this if C-Rod is indeed out. And as great as he is, I don't want to suddenly flip my result for that game because... I sort of assumed that he wasn't going to be there anyways. There's kind of always that little thing in the back of my mind. And maybe that's the thing that's preventing me from saying, I think Mm -hmm. Kentucky can be a 10 and two team because I don't think that's necessarily in the cards. I have Kentucky losing in Eli Drinkwitz's annual. How do you like me now game? The Toby Keith game. (laughs) I could do an X's and O's breakdown of that game. Or I could just say, I just can picture the sleepy start at Mizzou. Kentucky isn't ready for it. Mizzou somehow has a stud tailback and carries the ball 25 times for 170 yards. Will Levis throws two costly picks. We just have to make sense of a random game like this. That's going to happen. And I've learned doing these crystal balls for the last five years. Sometimes I just need to throw that in there and remind myself that logic doesn't always make sense. And even Mm -hmm. if I think one team is significantly better than the other, this stuff happens. It just does. Um, Mizzou getting to six and six would mean winning that game against Kentucky and then winning at Kansas State, which I know there's some sneaky Big 12 contender buzz, but for for Kansas State, that is maybe maybe I just have a hard time picturing Adrian Martinez winning football games by making quality decisions down the stretch or I'm an idiot and I'm clearly overlooking Deuce Vaughn running against that Mizzou front, which I do think will be improved. Isaiah McGuire, all being the drum team selection, Trajan Jeffcoat. Run defense was bad, but maybe that was more about Steve Wilkes' scheme. And we'll look up and be like, wow, wow, Kentucky, or not Kentucky, but Mizzou actually contained Deuce Vaughn. Pretty good. Impressive. Mm -hmm. Anything else non-Georgia related before we wrap up with a couple of thoughts on the dogs? Yeah, I think, um, you know, like we were talking about, this is the deepest the East has been in a while. Um, I think that (laughs) we have kind of foreshadowed this stuff with Florida where, you know, obviously it's going to be a little bit of a re- rebuilding year. That that uh, schedule sets up really interesting. Like like you said, uh, Utah. I feel like we've both, you know, banging the drum for the Utes. I think that that's going to be kind of a, a eye opener. You know, um, Utah is obviously the same coach for a really long time. Billy Napier coming in, um, fresh fresh start. Obviously, it's in the swamp, but I would personally, I, I think that's why the line has kept so far down. But I, I don't really put a lot of stock into that. And like you said, Kentucky. Right after that comes the swamp. Um, personally, I, the C-Rod thing is a big blow, but I think that, you know, we've talked about Will Levis a lot, and I think that that's going to be a big launching point for him and how he handles those games without C-Rod, specifically the Florida game, because if you look at how their schedule kind of sets up at Kentucky, it's really just three cakes, as we call them, and at Florida. And so if Levis balls out, even if they lose, you know what I'm saying, builds his confidence up a little bit, um, like he did in week one last year. I mean, last year it was just out of the gate for Levis. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was like, oh, this guy looks like a franchise quarterback like day one. If he's able to get that fast start going, even in a loss at the Swamp, I don't think a lot of people would fault that. You know, like you said, it's been since Jimmy Carter that they beat them two times in a row. So they're in a really interesting position where they could um, start off really hot and then they head to Ole Miss getting C-Rod back. And who knows, obviously, you know, first game back, how that's all going to go. But yeah, I think um, it's, 
I'm with you. I don't think there's anything too shocking. Obviously, you have a couple of upsets here that you know flip some of the games, but that would still have those games go that way. You know what I'm saying? But that's from, like you said, years of random results in the SEC. Years of how did this team just you know out, outside of like we were talking about your Bamas or your Georges that you know maybe have one or two. Everybody else, it's like you're going to have a game or two where you're just like, oh, my team looks horrible today. They can't, <laughs> they can't yeah. get out of their own way. Like, so yeah, I see that, like with Tennessee, especially in that offense, how it's going to feast or famine, how they could, you know, have a couple of uh, upsets or I guess be upset a couple of times. Um, so yeah, I think, um, I, I think as we say it, you know, you have to scheme. You can't just say, oh, South Carolina feels like eight wins. Oh, Kentucky feels like nine wins. It's exactly. Like, no, you got, you got to, you got to really, putting them all like this, I'm looking at it and I'm just like, like I said, we're both high on Tennessee. We are both realistic about Florida. We're not low on Florida. We are listening to the words coming out of Billy Napier's mouth and writing them down. But that's the, that's an important thing to remember with this as well. If you're if you're Kentucky, if you're South Carolina, if you're Tennessee, you are looking at this season saying it would be a really bad time for us to get swept by Florida and Georgia and to not be particularly close to them. Because you have your starting quarterback. You have your guy coming mm-hmm. back. Those those three teams specifically. And if you're getting blown out by Florida this year, if you're not making progress against Georgia and you lose by even more against them than you did last year, that's a tough pill to swallow. I'm sorry. It just is. And I could have optimistic long-term outlooks about all three of those programs and the coaches that they're being led by. But you had better make some progress against those two teams because there's a realistic world in which the 2020s, Florida and Georgia are just going back and forth. And every year, you're penciling them in these crystal balls with at least 10 wins. And that's their floor is 10 and 2. And oh, who's going to win it this year? And, and it kind of looked like it was going to go in that direction in the, latter, in, in the later part of the 2010s. And then the fallout of, uh, I guess, late season 2020 with Florida happened in 2021. Mm-hmm. But there is a path for that. And you right now, if you're Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, you need to make that progress. You need to try and make up that ground. I think those teams are capable of doing that, staying on the field with Georgia, even in a post-national championship world in which they just had 15 players selected in the NFL draft mm-hmm. is not an easy thing to do. And that's a testament to Kirby Smart. Speaking of Georgia. Really quick, I knew you were about to get to Georgia. Let me just say this about Georgia too. You know, I I can't credit enough kind of what they're building over there as as a machine, as a recruiting entity. And I think that at this point, the only way that you could like catch up to Georgia without, you know, radically changing what you're doing is schematically. I think as much as we like Todd Munkin, we love some of the things they've done on offense. That's why we like a team like Tennessee that runs this vertical passing All game. three of those teams did that. Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, they did that schematically. And that's that's a, an underrated part of this whole deal. Right. And and so it's like Georgia, you know, I, I understand this is not a narrative. I, I understand that Kirby is a is a defensive guy and he's grown and he's adapted. He's done the adapter. I think he has adapted. But I'm saying it takes, you know, we talk about a guy like Lane Kiffin or a guy like Heupel. Those are the type of offenses that you would feel, you know, solid against Georgia because, you know, to get Florida or Tennessee to the level that Georgia is at, like people have been talking about blue chip recruits and the quarterback and all this different stuff. Having dogs and dogs and dogs and dogs and dogs and dogs the way that Georgia does, I think is almost at this point underappreciated because it's like, um, I'm certainly not saying you're doing that, but it's like, okay, 
let's say Florida gets up into the top five for this class. Georgia's been in the top five since Kirby got there. You know what I'm saying? That would be massive for them. That would be a huge win. It would be starkly different from how they did under Mullen. I understand that. Mullen was a schematic guy. And and Napier is to a degree as well. He runs his style of offense. But point being, I I, I, I see what you're saying with, you know, the hen dog and like all, all this stuff with the quarterbacks. But at the same time, it's like, it's so hard to measure yourself against Georgia because they have so many things that are like, you know, the proximity to Atlanta, the donor base, uh, the NIL sure. opportunities, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think that, you know, if you're, if you're Tennessee, you've been in that place where you've been a dynasty, you've been in the top two or three for like a decade. You know how that feels. There are some teams with that, but it would truly take Georgia stumbling, I think, for even them to trade places with Florida at this point, because they, they're just set up so well, you know? I agree. One of the things I was looking at with Georgia who will be favored by double digits probably every regular season game. Unless Mm -hmm. something happens, and I don't even necessarily know what that would be. It would be Stetson Bennett gets hurt. Carson Becker, Brock Vandegrift comes in. And oh, no, the five-star quarterbacks are coming in, Connor. Yeah, right. But but like you get what I'm saying here. Yeah. That even if Jalen Carter, we found out he's out for the season. Nolan Smith is out for the year. Killy Ringo, one of these guys, is out for the year. I don't think that necessarily changes those spreads that right. drastically, at least as we sit here on August 22nd. So if Georgia's most realistic path is to go 12 and 0, which even as somebody who's predicted that upset Tennessee, I still think that is probably their most realistic path to go 12 and 0. Mm-hmm. Defending champs who had an unbeaten regular season the following year. This is interesting. 2014 Florida State, of course, did that. The famous Jameis flail against Oregon when the internet truly figured out how great videos are to be able to share on Twitter specifically. Yes. Listen, we may not, I don't want to paint you as a Jameis Winston appreciator, but at least as a content machine, Jameis Winston has given us so many and that And that watching that, that play was just the culmination of a very flawed 2014 Florida state team and the way that Mm -hmm. that played out, but they went undefeated in the regular season, 2016 Alabama. Undefeated that regular season, 2018 Alabama, same thing. 2019 Clemson, you know how that ended better than any of us will. Sure do. I was there. Pretty common. All of those teams lost in the playoff. Mm -hmm. Three of them lost in the title game. That's the good news for Georgia. The bad news is if that schedule plays out like many think it will, and maybe let's just say Tennessee isn't necessarily ready to be on that level yet. Georgia can get to the SEC championship having not played a top 10 team. And we will be questioning how good the resume is. Mm -hmm. And if they're in for a rude awakening against a team like Alabama. Now Kirby has said so many different ways that they are fighting against complacency. And that they are doing everything in their power to make sure that Georgia is not a team that is a victim of that. And there's always going to be this playing of the results. And it's a little bit silly to think about that if Georgia doesn't win a national championship, the eulogy will read, Georgia got complacent and they rested on their laurels and all these other things. It's like, well, they just might not have been good enough. There's also that part of it. That Being we not the best team, I'm not specifically talking about Georgia here, but it's like that people are so quick to do that with Clemson, with Alabama. With it's like not being the best team in college football does not make you a fraud. You know? Yeah, it's hard. It's very hard to run it back. And Georgia fans know that very well because it took four decades to be the best team in college football. And 
maybe it's not going to happen in 2022. I think they saw those four teams that I'm talking about here who were uh, unbeaten, coming off of a, a national championship season and then went unbeaten in the regular season during the playoff era. They saw their flaws play out. Mm-hmm. It's possible, dare I say likely, that we could see Georgia's flaws play out when the season is on the line. Losing forces you to shake things up. It just does. It forces you to take a long look in the mirror and say, what are we not doing well enough in this area? What do we need to do to be a perfect team? And Georgia last year is kind of a perfect example of that with the way that the SEC championship went. Mm -hmm. And you can have all the conspiracy theories in the world. That's totally fine. All instead subscribe to the notion that Georgia ran into a team that played like its season was on the line. Bryce very good, as as we've noticed numerous times. Very hard to beat Bryce Young. No turnovers, no sacks, 461 yards. What do you have, three or four touchdowns in that game? Pretty good. Pretty good. And I think that Georgia could have some of those questions still lingering late into the season. Again, I'm not trying to diminish what a 12-0 regular season would be. That would be a major, major feather in Kirby's cap if he's able to do that after the talent, the production that he just lost. I am not assuming that 12-0 and is a given. And if Kirby pulls that off, I will give him the credit that he deserves. I just think that's at least worth mentioning as we talk about this bid for a repeat. Yeah, there's there's a lot to... I, I don't want to seem like we're too far up the Georgia Street either. I mean, like we, like we said, there's so many programs building something. Tennessee, Kentucky... Um, Mizzou with their recruiting class. Luther Burden, shout out uh, Chip sponsor now, Luther Burden. Ripplets? Uh, what's what's what are I, listen, ripplets? I don't know what that to be honest with you. You asked, I was like, I don't know, but uh, some type of chip. But anyway, so point being, like, you know, there are lots of teams on the come up, but I'm not saying, you know, it's inevitable or I'm not doubting or hating on anyone. Um, and yeah, I think it's going to be, I, I wish this is like a side hit. I wish I could transport this Auburn game into Auburn because it would be the most Auburn thing in the world for mm. Auburn to beat Georgia this year. But in Sanford Stadium, I just don't think that's possible because it's only in Auburn those games happen. You know what I'm saying? 17 years, I think it's been since Auburn won at Georgia. Yeah. Uh, look, I, do I think that streak is going to be broken against this Georgia team? No. no. But then again, <laughs> I was also saying last year, uh, do I think that this is going to be the first time that Auburn wins at LSU in the 21st century? No. And then Bo Nix had an out-of-body experience. Yes. So, so you have um, you have some, like you said, upsets here. You're talking about South Carolina, talking about Tennessee, or, um, Tennessee losing to LSU. Uh, but ultimately, we have Alabama out of the West, Georgia out of the East. Pretty simple. Mm-hmm. I know that's that's boring. It really is, but I, I can't see a way around it. I, I would be perfectly fine admitting come December that I was wrong about that prediction. It's just staring all of us right in the face. It just mm-hmm. is. And uh, if we get anything but that, I'll go on record saying I'm, I'd be incredibly surprised. I'd be here for it. No problem with it either way. But I would be very, very surprised to see that play out because even if I think that Tennessee beating Georgia all of a sudden makes us ask the question, well, who's the best team in the East? I mean, I still have Georgia going seven and one against the SEC and Tennessee okay. only going five and three. Tennessee being a more flawed team that would need still more breaks to happen after that in order for them to have a chance to win the division in mid November. Yeah, I mean, you know, so in marketing, right, we do the SWOT analysis, right? It's like strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And for this, it's like, well, you know, your most common matchup, right, is Georgia out of the West, 
or sorry, Alabama out of the West, Georgia out of the East. And it's like, what are the outside factors that cause that to not be the, the case here? Don't see a ton of that. So to your point, you know, given Kirby's record against the East, which is stellar, it's the West he struggled with, if anything, and mostly Alabama, LSU, and Auburn. <laughs> but point being, um, which one do you think is more likely to not represent their division? Alabama. Mm-hmm. Alabama, just because the talent level in the West is there. Um, I've already floated out the idea of looking back on Alabama season and saying, maybe we overlooked all those close games that we, that they won right. last year. We, and we should have been more mindful of, of how much those games were a grind and in multiple ways and not necessarily just one specific type of game, but the way that it played out against a the way that it played out against Tennessee, where you're just like, wow, they really can't distance themselves. And they finally kind of did the way that it played out against Arkansas, LSU, like all these different games where I'm just kind of wondering, all right, what's, what's Alabama's gear. What's, what does their, their first gear look like? Whereas Georgia, I still think they're heads and shoulders above the division. And if anybody predicts, didn't chose. I did not wake up and choose violence today. <laughs> okay, but if anybody is predicting Georgia to fall off, a la twenty twenty LSU, mm-hmm. I think Ed O'Dron and Kirby Smart are wired differently, and everything we've seen in the last three years bears that out. That's yep. just. I don't. That's that's where I fall on that. Like like we talked about, you know, getting Todd Munkin versus getting our boy Bo Pelini. Um, but that being said, since I know we already talked about the West, but so we've talked about the East, you view Tennessee as the most realistic threat, but as we talked about, you know, just kind of the, the, um, the way that the numbers stack up, it would be hard for them to win more games than Georgia. Um, well, which is crazy though, considering I, I have Alabama going undefeated in the regular season and I have Arkansas in second place at five and three. Right. So that, that maybe so maybe that's the bad example, but like a and m coming out of nowhere, which that's by no means am I predicting that. I think that's still the possibility that's on the table. Or, and I know people have always said to themselves, well, what if Auburn, what if Auburn? And mm-hmm. if something like that happens or LSU being the most unpredictable team in college football, like these, these things that, that factor into my mindset more than when I look at the rest of the East. So that's, that's what I mean by that. Even though you would look at this crystal ball and just say, well, dude, surely Georgia is the team that's going to lose to somebody in its own division. Mm-hmm. And they would, they, they would have a closer, margin for for winning the division why wouldn't they have maybe the the less likely possibility of getting to atlanta but that's kind of the the way that i thought about that so um i, I just want to say this real quick um then we can wrap it up but the uh the georgia thing you know we've talked about it it's it's very obvious right georgia's coming off the national title they lost a lot of guys so they could be 85 percent of what they were last year and not be the best team in college football that's it, it doesn't seem that they could possibly you know get better maybe in a year maybe in two they have some younger guys step up but just guys like you know they're there's one jordan davis in the world you know what i'm saying like this offense, <laughs> offense could get better Defense, you know uh, defense is, defensive regression is inevitable. It just right. is. Offensively, they can get better, even if the final numbers don't bear it out. But I think they could become a more prolific unit that really has a lot more working in its favor because they're asked to do more and they have to do more and they're playing deeper into some of these games. True. Yeah, that's, that's it's going to be interesting too, like I said, as the quarterbacks change, as the receivers change, whatever. But going back to Alabama really quick, Um what do we think this year versus last year? Do you think Bama, you know, we, everyone made all the jokes about Nick Saban saying it was a rebuilding year. What do we like about Bama or dislike compared to last year? It's boring to say that I have Alabama winning the SEC championship. Mm-hmm. It's boring to say that I have Alabama reaching a national championship for the seventh time in eight years. But it is still a team that has very few flaws. 
And I say that from a defensive standpoint, even though really the last time Alabama had a top 10 defense was 2017, I want to say. I want to mm-hmm. say it was 2017. So think about that. You think about, oh, well, so surely then it's going to be a vintage Nick Saban defense. Doesn't have to be if you average 45 points a game. It just doesn't. Probably won't be. Probably probably has more frontline future first round talent in this specific defense than any that he's had in recent memory. And I still feel good about that group and think, all right, you should probably have a top 10 defense. And there aren't a whole lot of teams in college football where I would project you to have a top 10 defense and a top three, top four offense in college football. That mm-hmm. in itself is hard to get around. And then you've seen, okay, well, what if it does get really tight? I've seen how Bryce Young operates in those situations. Mm-hmm. I saw what he did with his back against the goal line against Auburn. I saw what he did in that all or nothing game against Georgia in the SEC championship. I saw him stick to the game plan against a lesser talented, but still very stout defensive Cincinnati team that everybody would have just ripped Alabama from this way to that way. If they had lost that game or shown any sign of weakness and instead they stick to the plan, they follow what they are capable of doing. And this Alabama team doesn't necessarily have those holes at least at least on paper again we talk about the offensive line being a potential issue but it helps when you have the best quarterback in the country to overcome those offensive line issues what are well, the i would say too really quick doug maroon is now listen if you want to send doug maroon to the gates of hell alabama fans now he's coaching trevor pinning so it's pretty close as offensive line <laughs> Yeah, they just go go ahead and pluck an offensive line coach from Kentucky. You take care of that and you figure that stuff out. And Alabama probably will. Maybe a month into the season, we're going to look up and say, wow, Alabama controlled the SEC with this offensive line that looks a little bit like the Alabama offensive lines we've expected. How do you overcome potential issues at cornerback on defense? You have two edge rushers like Will Anderson and Dallas Turner who are going to be the most lethal edge rushing duo in college football and it won't be particularly close. These are the types of things that you can do to overcome your weaknesses. And Alabama has a way of doing that where those questions don't necessarily have to remain deep into the season in the same sort of way. And much like we talked about with Georgia, all right, what's it going to look like with Georgia's secondary when they face a team that can stretch the field? We saw that against Alabama. That, That played out when they couldn't get that pressure. Georgia was able to overcome its weaknesses. What does it look like if they don't necessarily have a quarterback who's known for stretching the field or making these NFL throws? Well, have an all-generation defense, have an offensive line that's really solid and be good off play action, and you can overcome that stuff and take advantage of short field. Don't have a quarterback who makes a ton of mistakes in the red zone. I'm rambling because there are people who are going to look for every possible way to say that this Alabama team, this Georgia team, that they're flawed and that they're not going to get to Atlanta. And Chris Doring, one of those guys who mm-hmm. does not have an Alabama, Georgia SEC championship. So that path is there, but I can't get there personally because I find myself justifying all of those weaknesses with other ways that they can overcome them. Simple enough. <laughs> yeah, man. No, that makes and like we're, we obviously, like I said, did the West, did the East. So naturally, you got to yeah. kind of put them together. And yeah. so, yeah, I think uh, like as we, as we, as content producers would love chaos, we would love, you know, Auburn versus South Carolina in the SC championship game. We also don't like looking stupid. There are people that are going to listen to this and say, oh, of course you would want Bama. Buddy, my, my job gets so much more interesting when Bama loses. You have no idea. You have no idea. The numbers that we do after Bama loses on the road to AM, 
Mm-hmm. Trust me. Trust me when I say that from a business standpoint, Alabama winning doesn't necessarily put more money in my pocket. It's more interesting when Alabama loses and everybody else feels like they have a chance. That's the way that this thing always works. I've said it a million times over. I'll say it a million times again. Your boy doesn't have a rooting interest. All right. I call it like I see it. That's how I see it playing out. That's the crystal ball. Listen. I've been trying to slander Alabama unsuccessfully for about 12 years. And outside of one glorious day in 2019, it's been nearly impossible. So trust me, I am rooting for that to not be the case. But buddy, have I been wrong for like 12 years? And even in 2011, I looked stupider than any other year. So so this is just, I've just, it's inevitable. We we always joke about if Saban decides to retire, he's going to return as Darth Saban and just coach as a robot for 50 more years. That's my expectation. So anything less than that, it's going to be great. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. No disagreements here. Well, let's uh, let's go to our good friend, Chris Doring. Great to catch up with him, dig into some Florida things, SEC receivers, uh, that prediction about Kentucky and his, uh, his wildcard team to make it to Atlanta and play for an SEC championship. So here is CD. I'm not excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good buddy, Chris Doring. Uh, CD, you were down south in Florida. I'm guessing you were at the beach this weekend. Is that a safe assumption that every time you go to South Florida, you go to the beach? Actually, as you know, um, I am a big Dave Matthews Band fan. So uh, I was down in the Jupiter Palm Beach area for two nights of Dave Matthews. So we he was supposed to play Memorial Day weekend, and I was down there for that. It was supposed to be Saturday and Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. And then about Saturday afternoon, around uh, 2 o'clock, the news starts spreading that uh, somebody tested positive for COVID. So they canceled those and rescheduled it for this past weekend. So luckily... Uh. It was uh, not once football season had started, so I, I was able to make it down there for a couple nights. Okay, well, now I'm thinking about this. What What is a CD beach day? Is it pub sub, cooler, beach oh, 10, so. SPF 30? Like, give, give me the oh, rundown. We're, what that we're looks talking like. about different things now. So well, I have a condo over in St. Augustine. When we do the beach over there, that's a little different. That's a... Uh, that's a cooler of Mick Ultras. That's a, um, you know, that's a going back and forth with the snacks. It's hanging out uh, more out on the, the, the beach, talking trash and in, in the water. But uh, like down south, if you got the hookup with, with a boat, you know, I, that, that's what you got to have. Everybody says that you got to have a friend with a boat. So we got many friends with boats down south. And when we go down there, it's mostly out on the boat all day long. That's a good way to do it. That's if you got to have both of those experiences, it's like we have our Dunedin Clearwater experience that we have like our new Smyrna experience. Those are, yeah. those are very different, but both are great nonetheless, especially this time of year. Okay. Um, so you've seen the new Florida facility, uh-huh. 85 million bucks. You probably remember seeing how giddy Hester was when LSU got its new facility 2019. Yeah. Explain what kind of a, a game changer this is because I think it was something that, in my opinion, was holding Florida back from being considered a top five job in the sport. First and foremost, you know, uh, there's a lot of emotions. And you know this, Connor. I've, I've been a Gator fan my entire life. Grew up going to the game since I was five years old and beyond. So there's really uh, having that passion in me from from birth made it a place of destination for me. And, and that's not always the same for every other recruit. In fact, and most recruits don't have that same tie to the school. So you have to be able to be on par with everybody else with uh, what you're offering in terms of not only degree and development as a player, but the facilities that they're going to have an opportunity to enjoy at, at their respective schools. So for me, you know, I was going through like, wow, this is a game changer. But at the same time, there was that jealousy that runs through you like, wow, I can't believe I didn't have a chance to have this. And, and the facility is not only top notch, but in terms of being well thought out, the efficiency of it, how everything kind of plays in 
to to the experience of the the, the student athlete and just I, I could only put myself in in those kids shoes and what it would be like to have a chance to to come back to your locker and, and lay back in these zero gravity chairs whereas we'd get done with a 615 workout you know you'd shower up you'd eat and you got an hour before you go to class and so instead of going back to your apartment or your house or wherever you'd grab your 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 net laundry bag set it down get a towel and put it over you and take a little nap right in front of your locker like these guys are having much different experiences they can go get the cryotherapy they can get the the uh, the normatec on the legs they can you know, lay back in their chairs like literally it, it, every moment of the day is so well thought out for these guys and and uh, it is a game changer putting them on par with the the top facilities in the country college cd with all of these resources at your disposal how many more how many more balls are we catching how many more receiving yards what does college cd do with 2022 florida resources you, you know what i think it, it's a Everybody talks about it, right? If I w- would have known then what I know now, right? I, I think as I went on with my career at the National Football League level, I really became more aware of of what it takes to to really be in the league for a long period of time, how you take care of your body, how you prepare physically, how you prepare mentally. Ed McCaffrey was a big part of that development for me as he kind of took me under his wing in Denver and, and taught me the things that that really make you a, a real pro. And so I wish I would have known those things. I wish I would have taken advantage of, of, you know, taking care of my body better earlier, you know, sleeping more, uh, the cold tank more, the diet, you know, being focused on the diet, the training, like, you, you know, Connor, I, I enjoy working out, like working out to me is, is a, a hobby. Now, one of my, my highlights of my day, whereas at the time it was like, Hey, let me hurry up and get done with this. So I can go on to something else. Like, I wish I would have had that same perspective, that I have now that I developed later in my career while I was still at Florida. I think that's the thing that the guidance that's provided for these, these kids, whether at Florida or any other SEC school from the nutritionists to the the strength and conditioning staff, you know, having so many different people um, preparing things specifically for you as a, an individual athlete in the position you play, I think would have, would have definitely helped my, my development, ultimate, uh, ultimate performance. A lot of people very dialed into current Gator, Anthony Richardson, the, the Jack Miller injury. Um, I, I think it'll, which is supposed to sideline him for a couple of games. It's interesting because we know that, that with, with Richardson's injury history, it's, it's kind of tough because you want to be able to use him as a runner and not worry about any sort of restrictions and worry about the depth behind him and feel like you have a good situation set up if he were to go down do you think that he follows that that path of the all SEC quarterback? Because all the buzz we're hearing about in the offseason is extremely positive, and Gator fans are going to have sky sky high expectations for this guy. Well, one, they need to temper their expectations. I think that's the thing that I've been vocal about and, and criticized by some Gator fans for my criticism of their lack of reality. Um, you know, this is a program that's not in great shape right now. This is a program that's void of elite SEC talent. You know, Coach Napier has done a great job here over the last three or four weeks of of putting together some solid commitments for the next uh, upcoming signing class, but it's going to take time. Um, I like a lot of where Florida is in terms of their their starting 22. I don't think they have a ton of depth, and so developing some depth is always important in this conference. But Florida's also got to be better on their lines of scrimmage. Uh, one thing Florida's always been known for is having elite defensive line talent in Florida does not have a bunch of that, has not had a bunch of that the last couple of years. And I think that's one of the, the big differences 
um, between you know the top Alabama, Georgia, uh, Texas A and M, LSU, some of those programs, and where Florida is now. So, um, tempering expectations is 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 important, but I also think that this team is going to go as far as Anthony Richardson can take them. You know, because of his athleticism, his ability to make those big plays, um, he can he can be a game changer. But at the same time. He's got to be more consistent. And when I say consistent, it, it starts with a couple of things. Consistent throwing the football. You can't have the the great throws and then the misses on the routine, you know, opportunities that are there. You have to take what the defense has given you and move the chains. Secondly, you have to be consistent in protecting the football. You go back to that Georgia game. It's a three-nothing game with about two minutes left in the first half, three turnovers, and the next thing you know, the floodgates open and it's over with. So you got to protect the football better and not put your, your defense in bad spots. And consistency when it comes to being in the lineup. This is a guy that has been often injured, as, as we all know. And you mentioned it. Right? His game puts him in harm's way quite a bit. So you got to find a way to going back, taking care of your body, making sure that you're you're doing the things to, to keep yourself healthy. And um, you, you got to avoid the big hits. You know, as much as a, a, a runner as he is, he's got to find a way to use a little judgment and stepping out of bounds, getting getting down and, and living to play another down. I've heard some really encouraging things so far about the way that Napier operates at practice. I mean, really, really encouraging. The, just the control that he has over the program, especially compared to the previous regime and the way that, that Dan Mullen did some of the things. It, you just get a very different sense, overall vibe about it. We'll wait and kind of see how that plays out. You've talked a lot about patience. We've been kind of on the same page with this. The depth isn't there yet. You yeah. need to understand that year one, it's in a different place now than it was with Mullen. It's in a different place than it was with Mac. But getting to that start, that that post-September feeling where Florida fans haven't totally given up on the season, do you see this team starting off one and three? And we'll get to the Kentucky prediction in a minute, yeah. I promise you. Okay. Do you see this team starting off one and three and being in a little bit of a state of disarray in a, in a place where they kind of haven't really been. Because even last year, as, a disaster, as disastrous of a season as it was, they still had that hope. And their year ones, their year one coaches have overachieved to a certain extent, got off to these great starts. Yeah. So where, where do you kind of see Florida being after that first month? I think it's such a challenge for Coach Napier and the staff inheriting the team that he inherited and having to to play the schedule that they have. I mean, opening up against one of the trendy teams in all of college football right now. I think a lot of people, you know, have them as a, a dark horse to get in the college football playoffs. They got one of the best quarterbacks in the country, so it's going to be a challenge from the get go. And what is that cha- challenge? It gives you opportunity, but there's some downside potentially too. I could see Florida. You know, winning the first couple of games and everybody's expectation level being un- unrealistically through the roof. At the same time, you know, I could see them winning against Utah and being physically banged up and losing to Kentucky in week two. And now yeah. all of a sudden you're 0-1 in the conference and in, in the SEC East uh, specifically. Or I could see them, as you said, going 1-3 and, and and a lot of people prematurely throwing the towel in on this season and potentially on the staff in general. So staying even keeled is the most important thing for, for Florida right now. Trusting that, that Billy Napier has a great plan, which he does and he executes it with extreme precision, whether you're talking about practice, whether you're talking about the approach to building the program, being out at practice. I love it, Connor, because it takes me back to my days at Florida. He is so involved with the quarterback, so involved in, in teaching. I love when head coaches are out there, uh, being involved, like Coach Saban is with the defensive backs, like it's it's it it really brings 
I think a lot more credibility when the head coach is as involved as as what Billy Napier is specifically to the the position that he knows best, and that that's the quarterback spot. So he he, he could tell he he lives and dies with what happens with his quarterbacks out at practice, and and gets frustrated when those guys maybe don't read things out properly, or or when they make a great play, he's he's showing his emotion that way too. But it just takes me back to Coach Spurrier and the way that he coached our teams and how much you know having an opportunity to learn from him directly on the field, coaching in every single rep as opposed to coaching on the tape can can do to to move you know, guys along with their progression and development. I asked you to come on before I saw your Kentucky prediction, so I want that on record. I do. And then I saw what you had for Kentucky, 11-1. Yeah. Beating Florida in the swamp, that's one thing, especially in a year like this. Beating Georgia means that you have Kentucky getting to Atlanta this year, playing for an SEC championship, something that has never happened before. Come clean. Uh, you've met the fine people of Lexington. You are tired of paying for drinks in the state of Kentucky for Doring's got a touchdown. And now you just want to get in their good graces. It's funny, man. You mentioned that because Matt Jones was on our Sirius XM show the other day. And Matt goes, man, I don't know that there's ever been a guy gone from one extreme to the other when it's uh, <laughs> talking about the Kentucky fan base. Cause he, he put me there with Christian Leitner uh, in the same category in terms of disdain after my catch in 93 and, and now with the love that I've showered on those folks for the last probably four or five years, I want to go on record. I think you would acknowledge this, that I was ahead of everybody else when it talked about, you know, this program and where they were. I had a firsthand opportunity to to be there in the early years of Coach Stoops' tenure in Lexington when he was trying to build it and how much of a struggle it was as I was calling some of those Kentucky games early on. And, and then I was back probably five years ago for spring and saw how far they had come with the accumulation of talent. I think that staff does as good or better a job as anybody in the SEC when it comes to developing. And, and they've they've had to work with less um, until previous years. Now they are a destination of choice in the transfer portal. Wanda Robinson, Will Levis, those guys coming in, legitimizing what that program is about right now and how you can come play and compete in the SEC. That'll continue to evolve with more success from you know, Tavion Robinson and, and Will Levis this year. So I love the program. I love the patience that Mitch Barnhart showed and hanging in there with, with Coach Stoops. Tenth year, heading into his tenth year crazy. In, in, in the SEC at Kentucky, which is, is crazy to think about. And I'll say this, you know, it, it's such a guessing game when we're, we're predicting schedules. I, I don't always necessarily love it because there's so many factors you can't really account for. But I do, you look at the schedule, Connor, I think it's very manageable in the first six games. And there a lot of Florida fans got mad at me for for picking Kentucky, first and foremost, you know, as much as I love Florida, I'm the biggest Florida fan. Uh, but when it comes to doing my job, I try to have some objectiveness. And Florida fans are a little bit delusional to think that their program is currently on the same level as Kentucky. And that's hard to swallow. But Kentucky is head, further ahead in terms of of where they are in the in the, the building blocks of the, the current regime's uh, you know, foundations for their respective programs. Um, you know, I, I think it sets up well for Kentucky on the heels of what's going to be a very emotional, physical game against Utah uh, to have to come back, whether you win or lose that game and reload for what's going to be another physical test in the swamp is, is going to be a challenge for Florida. So I just think the schedule really sets up well. I know that Florida game, everybody wanted to talk about the 31 years of, of uh, the winning streak that Florida had over Kentucky, of which I was a part of, you know, four or five of those games. But this is not your your father's or grandfather's Kentucky team anymore. And so Florida fans need to understand they're 2-2 two and two against uh, Kentucky in the last four years, including a, a streak-breaking loss in the Swamp four years ago. So 
this is going to be a, a challenge. I think the the game in, in Oxford is going to be a challenge for Kentucky. Uh, obviously, going to, to Knoxville is going to be a challenge. But I really think the you mentioned the upset of, of Kentucky over Georgia. I just think it sets up well. You look at Georgia's schedule. They play Florida, Tennessee, and Mississippi State in successive weeks right before they travel to Lexington to play against Kentucky in what's going to be a tremendous atmosphere if there's something on the line. And I think sometimes you, you have to fail, Connor, to know how to handle situations. And Kentucky's failed in the last two times. They've played meaningful games against Georgia. They've hung in there. They just haven't been able to get over the hurdle. And I think this year, you know, things just kind of lead me to believe that that very well could be possible. Now, we're talking about a game in mid-October, so a lot could change between now and then. I just, I think this is a year where Kentucky has a, a great opportunity to be that third best team in, in the conference that we discussed so much at, at Media Days in Atlanta a few weeks back. Yeah, and I think if you've seen the way that Mark Stoops has responded with everything that he said, talking about you know the stuff with Cal and being a basketball school, the thing that everybody kind of connected to us was like he was definitely talking about Shane Beamer with that and building uh, not just a climate but but a culture. And if you want to just bet on something, you'd say just just bet on Mark Stoops. Just yeah. just bet on him having a scorched earth type of year. Eleven and one would be a season for the ages. For don't, the don't you think, Connor? Seven and one, seven and a half games as their Vegas win total seems way low to me. It scares me a little bit because almost too good to be true. But I, I let's say they don't win eleven games. At worst, what do they go? Eight and four, nine and three. Like if the whole wheels fell off, I just think this is a ten win regular season team for sure. The Chris Rodriguez injury uh, suspension that Matt Jones reported was expected to be three to four games makes it a little bit interesting because you're talking about their best returning player being being out for potentially, you know, a quarter of the season, a third of the season. And that that in itself kind of feels like a lot. You talk about the thing that I always bring up with Kentucky, two winning seasons in SEC play since the Jimmy Carter administration. So a team that has a minimum of three SEC losses every single year yeah. and try that's that's why that win total is always going to be what it is. But I agree, I would take the over on that because I'm going eight and four in the regular season. Um Kentucky is a bit of a microcosm for how I think the receiver position looks in the SEC, where you have a lot of teams that feel like they really like their depth, but there are kind of questions about who the top dog is. And I've got some numbers that I think are going to blow you away. I don't know if you've if you've looked these up yet, but the the active career leaders in receiving yards in the SEC, meaning only SEC yards count for this. Mm -hmm. Jaden Wally, uh, 1,346 yards. Anai Smith, 1,321 yards. Austin Williams, 1,245 yards. Kayshawn Booty, 1,244 yards. And Cedric Tillman at 1,205 yards. We are in the midst of a golden age of SEC receivers since uh, like 2019. That, that's kind of where it tracks back to the NFL draft numbers, the Bolitnikoff winner. All those things suggest we are in the midst of a very special time with SEC receivers. Are we still in this era with this year, with this group of receivers that we have coming back with, you know, even with Wandell Burks and Williams gone? Or do you think that we are going to have this significant drop off this year? I think we're still in that golden age for a couple reasons. First and foremost, you know, offenses in college football in general, specifically in the SEC, are catered around throwing the football. So you have to be able to to score points. You have to be able to be explosive, and you know, I think the SEC will continue to do that. Secondly, you know, you look at how many experienced quarterbacks there are in this league. That's going to lead me to believe that they're going to have success throwing the football. That the offenses are going to have the advantage in the league this year over the defenses 
So that's another, somebody's inevitably going to have to catch the passes. Now you talk about wide receivers. I think the line has been blurred between tight ends and wide receivers in a lot of ways. You go back to Kyle Pitts at Florida, kind of a few years back, revolutionizing the way that, that those athletes are being used at the NFL level. It's kind of the same way. So I think you'll see a lot of different tight ends putting up big numbers this year, which may take away from the wide receivers a little bit, but we didn't know Jamison Williams was going to be Jamison Williams last year at this time. You know, he comes in from Ohio State. You know about him, but we had no idea he was going to have the type of season that he ended up having. So I, th- I think there's a number of guys that have either come from the college ranks or have come from other schools' rosters outside of the SEC that we may not know a ton about right now, but we will like we did with Wandale Robinson and Jamison Williams last season. Okay, so I'm going to define the line. I'm going to say no tight ends for, for this question and okay. just receivers. If I took Cedric Tillman and Kayshawn Booty for the leading receiver pick in the SEC to lead the conference in receiving at the end of the year, I say I get I get those two guys. I'll give you the field. Who would be your your choice to to lead the the conference in receiving? I mean, Jermaine Burton's got to be one of those guys, right? I mean, you look at what his opportunity is there with the the void left by Mechie and Williams from from the Alabama team last year. You look at playing with the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Um, somebody's got to catch those balls. They're not going to change their offense. They're not going back to, you know, to 2010 Alabama offenses. So I, I, I think you, if I had to go with one, he might be a guy that uh, I would look to. Yeah, I, I would think. I, I, I wonder about Tyler Harrell in that offense. That's the guy that I'm, I'm kind of waiting to blow up with his speed, with his ability to stretch the field. The Louisville yeah. transfer who averaged like 29 yards a catch. But it is interesting to kind of look at those numbers and be like, dang, there, there are not the household names. If you told the average person, Jaden Wally is the active SEC leader in receiving yards, bro. What teams do you play for? Oh, is it Mississippi State? Like, is he even the best? Two, two Mississippi State guys on that list you gave with Austin yeah. Williams, too. I mean, like, they're going to put up numbers in that offense. So that can be a little bit deceptive, but uh, you know, at the same time, I, I that's a team too. And I, I don't want to get off your, your, your line of questioning, but I, I think Mississippi state is a team that takes a big step forward this Agreed. year. I think they're the 2022 version of Ole Miss where mm-hmm. then they made that big win to 10 uh, move to 10 wins. I don't know if they win 10 games because their schedule is really challenging, but I think they are a much improved team in year number three of, of his tenure in, uh, in Starkville. Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment as well. I think that a lot of people have been sleeping on them. I had a tough time not putting them in my preseason top 25, but haven't projected out for, for eight and four. Yeah. Um, okay, different different uh, school of thought here. Scott Frost went viral at the end of last week for a quote during his call-in show wherein he was more or less bragging about his offensive lineman averaging 15 to 20 pukes per practice. Um, and they're doing this new conditioning program, you know, which was something Frost kind of tried to cover up later and said that he might have exaggerated that number. Um, whatever. He's, he still thinks it's 1995. <laughs> You're someone who played when Frost was at his, at his peak, of course, at Nebraska. So I'm interested in kind of what your reaction is when you hear someone in that position say, not in year one, but in year five, a week before the season opener, something like that. What was what was your reaction to seeing all that play out? Well, one, you're right. I mean, in a day and age where we're supposed to be taking care of our players, you know, having them throw up, you know, every day, all day during practice is not ideal. So that 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 leads me to believe, you know, he was being a little bit uh, naive and taking the temperature of of where things are in college football. Secondly, is that an indictment of your off-season conditioning program? I mean, you're supposed to be in tip-top shape now. This is not 
1975 where you know you, you get in shape during two days and you know you, you most guys are off in in the NFL with with other jobs in in, in the offseason so that was a little interesting to me as well but um you know I, I just I think that the other thing maybe you try something new maybe you're evolving in terms of the way that you're practicing and and what you're looking to do and maybe that was his way of kind of tipping his hand a little bit but it just seemed a little out of touch to me as as you know you just relate to really how you have to to coach these players this is not the day and age where you get them out there and you run them into the ground like what, what was that uh bear bryant thing at uh when he was at texas a&m where you know basically junction boys to, junction yeah. boys yeah this is not junction boys era this is a totally different uh kinder gentler era of, of how you deal with players than it once was What's your record for practice pukes? And not like post SEC championship celebrating a perfect receiver pass to win a conference title type of puking. Not not a puke in my <laughs> SEC championship hat post game. No, not that. You one. told that story. That yeah, story is incredible. Yeah, yeah, I um, I don't know that I've ever really puked in practice or a game. Like I puked in in our off season conditioning program for sure. I, I mean, there's been there was a, a time when Rich Tootin was our strength coach where that was. It, that was that was the norm, you know. We, we'd be out pulling sleds with our our teammates in the sleds, and I remember one day, you know, we had the unfortunate timing of having the Mexican bar at the lunch buffet that day, and there was a lot of you know Mexican puke out on the field uh, from that. So that was that was not great. He would have us on this leverage leg press machine that would, you know, you do a weight that you could barely do once. He'd make you do it fifteen times, and you know, they had the garbage can right there ready for everybody to puke. That was always a Friday thing too. And you talk to the the guys that would go through earlier in the day, man, how was it? And it would have your heart beating the whole day, the dread and the anxiety of you know what was going to happen at the workout later in the day was a killer. Uh, but in games, like I remember, I remember the yes or the national championship game against Nebraska, the kind of the nerves and the anxiousness of, of going out there at the coin toss and feeling nauseous. And, and like that first drive, you just feel like uh, completely, exhausted because of all the adrenaline running through you and then you kind of settle down so i think i may have puked a little there but normally was not a big practice slash game puker uh more so off-season conditioning and sometimes it would be you know tuesday night was 80s night um at florida theater so we would go out late there and i think it was all you could drink and then come in and do you know uh, it was all you can drink <laughs> I, yeah i think it was all you, yeah, I, I i think it was but what, yeah so wednesdays the 615 workouts would be a little tough from from time to time, I may have may have puked out there after one of those uh, old wave nights too. Yeah, a little boot and rally, nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah. You could do that when you're, you know, when you're nineteen, twenty. Well, nobody drinks until they're twenty one. When you're twenty one, twenty two, something like that, you know, it's not cool anymore when you're doing it. Then it's kind of like ah, you know, I'm kind of over this in my my phase in life. I'm moving on to other things. <laughs> uh, last one for you was uh, was shaving PB stash on television a top three highlight of your life. It was good. Yeah, it was it was fulfilling. I was scared. I didn't want to nick him up, you know, so I tried to be careful with it. But I, I it was fulfilling because I actually think he got attached to the stash. Like he liked the stash too much. Um yeah, he was growing actually I don't know if you you saw, but he was growing it back and um I think he may have been spoken to by some higher ups at ESPN that maybe told him that the stat that that had come and gone and so you've seen him much more clean shaved here recently on some of the sec now shows that have been uh, on over the last week or so 
I uh, I talked to some ESPN people about that very thing and about how, uh, yeah, having to defend that and having to answer questions about that. Again, it's not 1995. If it was 1995, we're good. We're, we don't have to worry it, about it. It's anymore. a gimmick, though. Here's the deal. PB is too good to have to have a gimmick. So, yeah. you know, I think just relying on his talent. And I, I work with him, as you know, not only on SEC Now, but on SEC This Morning. And I think the format that we have on SEC This Morning is perfect. For PB, you know, it's a show that's all over the place. We get a little long form. We could talk a little bit more. We're not having to be as concise. And so that is one of my, the, the most fun things that I feel like I get to do and being more myself. And you know, this Connor, like as you do more TV and radio, the idea is to just be as authentic as you possibly can. Let your personality come out more. And I think sometimes under the more strict rigidity of, of the SEC now football final type shows, um, it doesn't allow us to be as as authentic as we probably are on the morning shows. So I, I I do like that format for us. I've never even seen you with facial hair. Okay, I was just trying to like picture what I was gonna say to you. You should grow out a stash. What? Tell me why. Florida. Tell tell me why you think I don't have. You know me well. Why do you think that I don't have any facial hair? Or having any facial hair? No, I think you, you do. You're a clean cut guy. You don't like dealing with that. You don't like that, dealing with the mess. But also. The beard grows in a little gray, and one thing you know, I'm never trying to do is True. tip my hand about my age. Good so point. I keep the keep the uh, the white hair off the face for sure because it is not a. I'm not going for that man. You look distinguished. Look, that is not what I'm looking for. <laughs> not this phase <laughs> of your life. Even I get the grays going in down it's here. Terrible, right? It's I'm like you though. I, when I was younger, I for whatever reason I grew like a red beard, and yeah. so uh, you know I had moments of goatees and and um, other type things. But um, I've, since it's grown in as as salt and pepper as it has, I, I try to stay away from it. Nah, just stay looking like you're in your early 30s. You're, you're good oh, to go, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank you, just man. CD, you're the best, man. Always appreciate Always it. Always we'll fun soon. being on with you, Connor, man. Have a great season. Looking forward to catching up as the year rolls on. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates full you never know what you're going to get. Figure it out. We're talking car horror stories. Well, I'm just going to say it. Cars suck. Yeah. I, I know people love them. I know people go to car shows. I know it's a hobby. I know that there are people that made their lives work cars, my dad included. Mm-hmm. Cars suck. Wow. Son they of a do. car salesman slandering cars. Look how far we followed. Wow. Look, mad respect for what my dad did. The reason that I am able to do this for a living, and I will give him credit every day for the rest of my life. I will. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But after the week I have, <laughs> I feel very strongly that cars suck. Let's just all ride bikes. Let's walk. That's not a hippie take. That's mm-hmm. just an anti-car take. Well, in Orlando, you guys have the uh, the Sunrail, right? Have you ever taken that? Shut up. The Sunrail sucks. It's terrible. How it's dare you throw that out? No, 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 no. You do not get to say that. Marta is galaxies better than the Sunrail. The Sunrail doesn't do squat. Take me to the airport. You know what would be a great place to have public transportation to? The airport. You know what the Sunrail doesn't do? Take it to the airport. Mm-hmm random places i don't need to go through winter park on a train get out of here you know this is the real issue with american infrastructure in such a wide country that we all kind of have to have cars for this reason right here yeah well, i get it we have to have but when you're a one car household and you have car issues that is magnified mm-hmm. big time and it has been a whole lot of car troubles for us last wednesday it was a day 
it was a day. This will also feed into my lad of the week from last week that um, I talked about with my neighbor, Jerry, who actually just came over earlier in the day to see how we were doing to check on the car. Love that. Nice guy. Yeah. Saint of a human being. He is. So Wednesday, start off hoping to fix a shaking steering wheel. Car also keeps going right. Not great. Not ideal. Assume that it's an alignment problem. Take it to repair shop number one. Yes. That lets you know how this story is going to go. (laughs) Yep. Repair shop number one says, yeah, that's probably what it is. I'm thinking, okay, 120 bucks. I'll go hang out next door at the coffee shop. I'll get some work done. I'll continue on my merry way. Normal Wednesday. I had to get this taken care of before Friday when my mom and her boyfriend were coming into town. So I'm sitting at the coffee shop, two hours past, still no word from them. And I just decide, okay, probably a good idea to hop over there and see what's up. They try to tell me that I hit something in my front left tire suffered a significant impact and that I need two new tires. Mind you, they tell me this after they did the alignment and it didn't do anything. They give me Mm. a quote for new tires. I'm like, yeah, you know what? No, I'm not really waiting for you to take another day and a half to get these tires in stock and then pay an arm and a leg for it. I'm not doing that. I'll go to Firestone because we've got the warranty with the tires. So Mm -hmm. I'm down the $125 from the alignment, which didn't do anything to stop the wheel from shaking and the car from bearing right. And I may or may not have, but definitely did slam the steering wheel about six times on my way home from repair shop number one. So we got a Firestone. A lot of of good grief going on to the car. Uh, yeah, we, we, we got into some PG-13 language in the car. Yeah. Well, you took it to the next level. So we got a Firestone. We only wait, by we, I mean me. I wait mm-hmm. 45 minutes. Guy says, all right, here are your two new tires. Even with the warranty, the discount, you're still looking at 350 bucks. I'm like, okay, that, that sucks, but whatever. At least this will be done. Mechanics finish. They come out. They tell me I'm good to go. And then the two guys also add in there that they raced putting on each of my tires. I thought nothing of that. I thought, great. I loved efficient work. I'm going to be out the door, moving on with my day. Hey, iron sharpens iron, son. It does. I mean, literally, it, it very much does. <laughs> I'm finally able to go home. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon. I had been at the cart, you know, repair shop number one. I'd been at repair shop number two basically my entire day. And I had two, about two and a half hours of work to do after that point, which I had my laptop with me all day. So I'm still doing stuff. Um, but I still had about two and a half hours worth of work to do before I go pick up Lauren. We had to go to this event that they had at Wakaba Island that night. So I do my work. It's five o'clock. I walk outside. The tire's flat. Like the brand new tire. Mm-hmm. And I am beyond pissed call up Firestone. I say, there is no way, no way that in the 10 minutes that it took me to drive home that I hit something that did Mm -hmm. not happen. You messed this up and you're going to repair this immediately. Not tomorrow. I'm going to get this fixed right now. So I'm thinking, all right, I'll use our air compressor. I'll fill the tire enough to be able to to get to Firestone, aka repair shop number two, and Mm -hmm. I'll let them actually make sure that the tire is sealed because it wasn't sealed. So I'm trying to fill it and I'm struggling. And my neighbor, Jerry, lad of the week, he's walking his dog, adorable dog. He sees me struggling in my driveway. And I say, would you believe that this tire is four hours old? (laughs) He comes over, he diagnoses the problem. He goes back to his place and he gets his jack so that we can lift the car up to make sure that there is 
not necessarily anything in this tire. And of course there isn't, it was just sealed on properly. It's bad mechanic work. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's just take your tire over to Firestone in my truck. They will fix it. And then we will come back to your driveway where your car is. And we will put this tire, this repaired tire on your car at your house afterwards. Okay. Like sweet. Jerry drives me over. He waits with me for 45 minutes while this is done. Comes back, helps me get the tire on my car. Saint of a human being. Lauren is making him cookies tonight. I love Jerry. Mm -hmm. But wait, there's but wait. more. Saturday rolls around. My mom, like I said, here with her boyfriend. Second time she's visited me in Orlando in seven years that I've been here. So I want the weekend to go really well, right? Seeing our, our, our house for the first time, wanted to go well. Saturday afternoon, I'm pulling out of our driveway. I'm, I'm with my mom's boyfriend. We're going to the grocery store. We're going to, we're going to Petty's. We're going to Publix to be able to get groceries for the night, whatever. Nobody cares about that part. I'm pulling out of our driveway. I shift into drive. The car essentially becomes paralyzed. Shifter is stuck. Key is stuck in the ignition. Can't move or shake the wheel. The car is operating like it's off or like it thinks it's in neutral. Mm -hmm. We eventually get the car to stop. We have to put these two by fours behind it so that it's not rolling anywhere and rolling into my neighbor's house or something. Had my mom's boyfriend look at it along with like three or four other people from the neighborhood. Jerry actually wasn't home at the time. He came over later to look at it. Whole thing. Up the Jerry symbol. I did. I really did. He was the first. I ran to his house. I literally ran to his house to try and get him to come over, but he wasn't home. And he, he looked at it later. Can't get the car towed because it's four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Right. One car household. We're supposed to go to dinner that night, spend the day at the beach on Sunday. Because of all of these issues, Lauren and I are thinking that our car is going to need a new transmission, which probably wouldn't be worth it. And we would have to buy a new car. Not Which, let's reframe really quick. This is technically the last weekend before the college football season. So I'm sure Lauren was imagining this going radically differently. <laughs> radically differently. Yes. Needless to say, that's how bad things were. We were mm -hmm. thinking about the eulogy for our vehicle, our one vehicle. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thankfully, uh, my mom's boyfriend got us a, a, a car from Turo, you know, which is essentially Airbnb rental car type situation. Mm -hmm. Big and, in Atlanta. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huge. Uh, awesome service. And so we don't have to Uber everywhere. So we were able to get a car for a couple of days. Car gets towed Monday morning. We are still TBD on the official diagnosis of the car. Have received a pr pretty promising outlook. It may or may not have been user error by yours truly. I might just be an idiot. And this entire rant against cars might just be, uh, I, I'm stupid and should figure out how to work them better. Fingers crossed that that's all it is. Because if it's actually the car, and we need a new car. That would really suck, especially with the way the market is right now. So cars suck. What year is your car? 2010. 2010 Kia Forte. Yeah. Man, those Kias last. Um, yeah, man. I mean, that's obviously, that's the best thing is if at the end they're just like, oh, look, it was just this. I mean, that's one of those that it's always better to just look kind of stupid than have like, you know, the eulogy of the car. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, just getting your car serviced is rough. And it's it's an all-time figuring it out topic because you talk to 10 different people, you get 10 different responses. Hate about it. it. If I mm -hmm. could just know about cars, and by the way, Jerry was a mechanic. I should have added this part in there. Jerry was an unbelievable mechanic for like 25 years. Oh, I yeah. just thought he was a really cool dude. Yeah. Like, On top okay. of that, which, which goes back to what I said a few months ago. I think he is the ultimate neighbor. He is mm -hmm. the number one neighbor. 
did not necessarily intrude when I was going through the the struggle getting trying to get air into the tire and it wasn't taking any sort of air because it was just letting it out in two seconds. But the fact that he's also this incredible mechanic who knows cars very well, even he popped the hood and looked at it and was like, no, 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 this this issue was way deeper than that. So I'll I'll, uh, I'll keep the people updated on what happens with uh, with our one vehicle. Well, you have, you have a car horror story. I, I know you do. I saw that. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers to your car. Hopefully it's all right. Um, I defaulted to kind of the worst trouble I've ever gotten in with a car. Um, so I have, I have two, but I'll only tell one today. Remind me. Um, I used to go off-roading a lot, right? So let me just- With, with your Jeep. Yes. That's the key, key yes. detail there. Yeah. Yes. With my Jeep. Um, so I'm trying to think about how to frame this. So I was friends with a lot of basketball team in high school. And we, you know, in Alabama, you, we went to a neutral site to go play our state tournament. So going up there, right, brought, you know, a couple of my friends, one of my buddies, you know, obviously we were the bus with the team or whatever, but we had our whole truck because we were the um, you know, broadcast team or whatever. So we go up there. Okay. So <laughs> I'm up there. I like have this whole thing where I had like just broken up with this girl. It was like, I like saw her. It was the whole thing. It was just like typical teenage dirtbag stuff. And then my buddy is on the basketball team. We get upset and get like out physical out rebounded. Right. And my buddy was on the bit glued to the bench, like Jared Lee, the entire game. He was like the enforcer for the team, like big, strong dude. And so I'm, he's riding home with me. Right. And we're riding, we're riding. There's a car full of people. Right. So we've all had a horrible day. Cause like team just got eliminated. Coach didn't trust my buddy. We're all just like mad. Right. Our day got a lot worse. <laughs> so I'm driving. And on the way up there, I had seen, um, you know, uh, I had seen kind of a pull off that I was like, huh, it looks interesting. So being, you know, a morale leader, being a locker That's room guy. That's the most Southern thing I've ever heard you say. <laughs> I saw a pull off and thought that looks kind of interesting. Right. I love it. So being, you know, trying to be a good locker room guy, I was like, hey, guys, you know, what if we just like take the old Jeep for a spin real quick? So turns out this place was an abandoned quarry. Um, so, so the quarry was blocked off. Well, I think to myself, well, I have a Jeep. So whatever this block, no, whatever this block is, I can get over it. Right. So now this is a key detail. You're going to think I'm the stupidest person in the world after I say this, my Jeep that you've known it. This is before I got tires on it. So this is more or less just a Jeep Rubicon with like standard wheels on it. Not my big tires. Yes. Now, mind you, I'd taken it out a couple of times before that. It was fine. But it's not the Jeep that you know. Any other version of my Jeep would have been able to handle this. So this barricade I'm talking about is made of gravel. Okay. Crucial to my calculus here because I think, well, if it's gravel, worst that could happen is I can just kind of excavate it and get out. So put on my theme song for off-roading, which is, of course, Deliverance by Bubba Sparks. You know, been traveling for some time. Get some little, like, you know, guitar in there. You know, baseline hits. All my boys are going crazy. We're about to like hit this quarry, potentially die. It's gonna be great. It's what you do in high school. Whenever you've had a bad day, you just sure. go off road. You know, in Alabama, we get up over the thing, okay, and it comes up like a shark, and we land flat on top of it. So my Jeep is stuck like a sandbar, okay. <laughs> so my whole crew of people who are not really off roading guys get out of this car. Okay. To my point, guys, don't worry. It's all gravel. We'll get it out. So we're grabbing sticks. We're grabbing two by fours, whatever we can find in this place. Start excavating, 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 right? So about that time, our school 
athletic director is coming from the game, which mind oh, you, we no. just lost. She pulls off. She's like, Will, what is going on? I was like, well, my car is stuck. She's like, Will, no are lies. you serious, big dog? I was like, I literally was like, what do you think is going on? Now, mind you, my buddy's on the basketball team. As the broadcasting team at Hoover, we got Jordan warm-ups. So me and him are both wearing our Jordan warm-ups with the jacket tied around our waist, digging in the dirt. Our AD pulls up, and she's just laughing hysterically. Takes a video, puts it on the school Facebook <laughs> of us trying to dig my Jeep out. She's laughing, she's laughing, she's laughing. We're like, okay, we're going to get it out. No big deal. We're sorry. Then the whatever county this is, cops pull up. Oh, no. And they're like, son, technically, by entering this pull-off, you're trespassing. Yep. <laughs> We've got you dead to rights here. Again, we look like we're in Mad Max by this point because we're now furiously digging as our AD is laughing at us and recording this video about because she was just like, oh, car trouble. She was super sweet. I love her. Um, But... <laughs> So he's like, you guys have this option. You could either pull, pull all your money and get a tow truck and get out of here right now and never come back, or I could arrest you. So I've never seen a group of like six, seven dudes whip out their wallets so quick. Hey, bro, I got 10. I got five. Like, let's figure this out. So they unstick us. Everybody's laughing except for me because it's my car. Wait, wait, wait. Rewind. Unstick. Yeah. In this current context is is what exactly well like i said we're sandbars so like there's a good foot and a half two feet between my wheels and the ground so there's gravel that the chassis of my jeep is sitting on that it can't go either way it's stuck and so that's why we were digging to try to make it go one way so that we could get out of there but we just couldn't dig fast enough because it was big it was enough gravel to sandbar a jeep it was a lot of gravel so didn't really, I thought I could hit it going fast enough and jump over it is what I this thought. Is, this is the byproduct of playing too many video games as a kid. Yes. I thought I was like Master Chief and a Warthog from yeah. Halo for sure. I thought I could just, ju- you know, jump this, keep moving. No, no. So we had to then go to a car wash. Oh gosh. Because my car is covered in crap. We had, you know, all my buddies, like I said, we look like we had just got done like, you know, you know, adventuring in the Sahara or something. We're covered in mud, covered in everything. Rinse the car off. We go to B-dubs and we're just like, they think that we're like a crime syndicate. How'd you so, still have money? How did you still have money to be able to beat dubs is <laughs> when you're in high school, that's a sit down place, man. And get yeah. a tow truck, tow truck is at the very least, unless you got some sort of triple A's like set up or something like that, you're paying at least 120 bucks. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like I said, luckily there were enough of us to where, you know, we went on like three orders of wings and all went on the tow trucks. But oh luckily, God. I don't really think any of our like I mean, everyone that you know, legally or whatever, like everyone that needed to know found out, but I don't think my buddy's moms or anything found out. But it's been you know, 12, 13 years. Statue of limitations. Is yeah, up. exactly. Like, so, yeah. but, and like I said, the police were there. They were just like, Hey, get leave. So point being, that was my car horror story is that That's I bad. got stuck on a sandbar, had the police make me tow my car, towed my car had to get all, it was a bonding experience for the boys that we laugh about to this day. They were, it was funny because they were all on board. My friends moved like a unit back in the day. Like it was like, we we're all on board. We realized what happened. We all immediately went like, Oh, and tried to get it out. But yes, point being, don't do stupid stuff because cars are finicky even when you don't. Stars, uh, cars will spite you. Yes. They will. If you do stupid things with them and pretend that they are invincible, they will qu- quickly tell you, no, they are not. Mm-hmm. This is not the way that they are meant to be used. All right. We got a lot in Facebook group that, well, we got, we got like five good ones. We got five good ones that I want to get to here. Mm-hmm. 
this one from Drew Page. Everybody needs to see the picture of this. Join the Saturday Down South podcast uh, Facebook group. Drew says, in high school, my brother gave me his car that had butterfly doors on it. Mm -hmm. Butterfly doors. It looked cool, but was actually the worst car ever. (laughs) One morning, I was on my way to school and the door fell off, like literally fell off. I had to hold on to the door the rest of the way so it wouldn't just fall off onto the street. Drew is not kidding. These are actual butterfly doors. Yes. Have you ever seen Chevy with the butterfly doors? I don't know if this is a Chevy. Yeah, it is. Stun is a habit. That car does not need butterfly doors. The car needs a lot. Let's be clear. One of those things is not butterfly doors. Not functional. Look, it needs a new transmission. It needs lots of things from this picture. Butterfly doors, not on that list. I think I've done a lot of cool things in this field. I can't sit here and tell you that I've been into a car with the butterfly doors. I haven't. I don't know. I would constantly be worried about that. And now I'm thinking about that even more after hearing this, that a door just fell off and you, you so you hold it by the, the handle if you're inside of the car, right? That's, you got to, and you got to throw on like some Travis tread or something too, because you got the other hand kind of on the steering wheel. So you got one hand on the door, one on the steering wheel. You got to be leaning back a little bit too, just to really, so yeah, it sounds like a, a Bronco at that point, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that that would be the day I'd be done with the, the butterfly doors. That, that yeah. would be, that'd be it. I'll shoot up. Uh, Emery says, this is going to be a somewhat long story. I uh, will make this quick. For over a year, we had issues with Kelsey's last car overheating. That's his wife. Uh, we had a warranty, so we would take it to the shop and put a Band-Aid on it. The problem is we live in Savannah, and when a car overheats, the AC goes out. Savannah is hotter than Satan's butthole in a sauna. Being a car <laughs> guy, I told them what the problem was every time, but with the warranty left it up to them. After a little year of taking it to the shop and then putting a band-aid on it, they finally looked and discovered the problem was what I told them it was in the beginning, which was a small a small head gasket leak causing an air pocket in the cooling system. The shop we took it to doesn't do head gaskets. So we ended up paying out of pocket for that diagnosis while taking it to the only shop in Savannah that could do the work in a timely manner. The problem was that timely manner was three months and the warranty only covered a week's worth of rental car. We ended up just buying another car. Hers was paid off and waiting until the repair was finished and buying a new one between the ease and the awesome warranty, approximately 14,000 dollars in repairs between our two cars that we paid maybe 150 dollars total for i will forever be a fan of carmax mm-hmm. you have to have your place yep i'm in between places right now we have one place that we like i don't want to say it's sketchy sketchy is the wrong word sketchy the right word for a car place really nah, you know what no no no, no where you want to be to fit your car <laughs> the, the appearance is sketchy and if you just mm-hmm. drove past it you would say that place is sketchy. I would drive past a lot of places who I'm not going to name because maybe we'll get an advertising deal from them at some point. And I would say, you kind of suck. I'll say it. You know what? Firestone, you kind of suck. You do. Because I've had two different experiences with you that were absolutely terrible. Another experience in which I was getting new tires on my car back in 2017. And because we had the warranty and that's why we went there. And we get there at eight in the morning on a Saturday. And they don't say anything to us until about one in the afternoon. Something that should have taken not a lot of time when we had an appointment. Takes five plus hours and we're there all day. Firestone, not great. Some of the places that appear normal, 
not normal. And you're better off going to the sketchy place, the discount mm-hmm. tires, whatever it may be, because that's who you trust. Find somebody that you can trust and hold on to them forever and never let them go. And then make sure that they have kids that you can also trust because <laughs> one day they're going to die and you're going to need to figure out what you're going to do with your car. That's what I've learned from this whole thing. <laughs> the stuff that you say that is sincere, that's not meant to be funny. It's I'm imagining you at your mechanic's funeral, just like, so what about old uh, Junior? Is he, is he taking on family business? That's, I sound like George Costanza, but that's something he would totally do. <laughs> Serious. Hey, man, it's tough. It's tough out there. Mm-hmm. Repair shop number one ain't going to be it. I'm not asking for, the, for their kids and what they're going to be doing. Okay. Just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Nick Jones says, when I was in high school, my sister got into a bit of trouble. And let's just say she couldn't drive her car for a year. All right. Okay. Well, you know what that is. Me being the 16-year-old younger brother uh, was ecstatic because I didn't have a car. So I got to use hers for that year. One day I was leaving my sick minimum wage job at Kroger. Shout out Kroger. Mm-hmm. Fired up the old Mazda protege. And suddenly there was a loud explosion that scared the crap out of me. Being a dumb kid, I didn't think much of it and continued to drive the car <laughs> for about a week until an unbearable stench took over the car. So I finally told my parents and we decided to take it to a mechanic. I'm sure they reacted very accordingly to that. Mm-hmm. A few hours later, they send us a picture of the glove box removed and a huge rat laying on the ground. Lo and behold, that rat crawled under the hood and got into the AC. And when I turned on the car that day, I made ratatouille. <laughs> on the bright side, now whenever I get into an Uber that reeks of cigarettes and air fresheners, I remind myself that it could be way worse. So this rat. If you get into the AC, that's all she wrote. That's done. The AC system is so complicated to have to fix. We we have dealt with various AC issues over the course of the last few years and have dealt with that in, in different vehicles. If that rack gets into there, you're smelling that forever. I mean, forever. Like that car, how do you, how do you get that stench out? That stench is a part of your car. That's not going anywhere. I don't know what can possibly rid of that. Truly. I mean, you get your car detailed and you think that you you can get the stench out of pretty much anything. I'm pretty sure when you get your car detailed after they've had a rat blow up in the glove department, they look at you and just say, buddy, it ain't happening. Sorry. We did all we could. You know that look that you get from the person who details your car when they say, we did all we could? (laughs) Yeah. You're Seriously. getting that after that one every time. So, like, okay, <laughs> rats are known to be obviously disease-carrying pests. So, did you once you learn that? Did you did mentally process like rat fumes had been kind of hitting you in the face for a while? Because Great my point. original <laughs> my original question was like, wow, it must have been really hard to date with that going on. Then I thought about like the CDC almost needs to be notified at that point because the rat excrement was. Your immune system has to be A1, dog. Really hard to date. It must have been really hard to live after yeah. that. And to be windows, that's the thing. I bet he went windows down, but it wasn't that bad, to be honest. So once you get going, I mean, who knows? Yeah, I mean, Lord knows the rat already took care of your AC. You got to put those windows down at that point. 
goodness mm-hmm. gracious. Gosh. And then the, the process of elimination too, of like explosion stench. These things don't sound correlated until they are. <laughs> General rule to live by. If it explodes, get checked out. Yep. Just, just always do it. Unless it's a firework, in which case it's doing its job. Yeah. But cars, yeah, get it checked out. Chris Ahor, he says, in college, I drove this Cadillac Eldorado that looked way, way better than it ran. Don't they all? Mm-hmm. It liked to uh, it liked to just shut down and die randomly while I'd be driving and would usually start right back up after that. Uh, on one thrilling occasion, I was turning left against oncoming traffic and she decided to cut out in the middle of oncoming traffic. And of course, this time she copped an attitude and would not turn back on immediately like usual. Luckily, it only took about five minutes to get going again, but it was pretty terrifying slash embarrassing. It's one thing to deal with car issues when you're in your own driveway. And I'm grateful that I was in my own driveway dealing with all that crap over the weekend. Very much aware that it could have been much worse. If you're walking out and you see a flat tire and you're 50 miles from home, that sucks. If you're walking out and you're realizing, oh my gosh, I think my car might have just died or the transmission shot or something like that. You're 100 miles away. You're on vacation, wherever. That sucks. When you're facing oncoming traffic and you are dealing with a car issue, that heart rate has to be all-time high. P90X can't compete with that heart rate. (laughs) That makes me think of, um, so Brittany, um, long had an issue that she hated asking for help. Um, so she had like this really old crappy car, uh, and would never be like, Hey guys, like, can we get it to get, can we all like figure out how to get a new car or whatever? So she had like a Volvo from like Oh six, like when we were dating and one day she went to the Atlanta airport. This is before she lived with me, was not living in Atlanta, did not know any of this works to go pick up my buddy Brady, who you met, who had also never really been to the Atlanta airport. And as he slammed his door, like, like closed the door, not slammed the door to pick him up, her mirror just fell and shattered. And so for the rest of the ride home, Brady was like looking out because <laughs> she already didn't have a mirror. And like, yeah, those type of cars have a special place in my heart because like, you know your car like your car that's like that that's a piece of crap you know exactly like how temperamental it could be you know how to get going in a way that other people can't that's how her car was we have a little issue right now with our car that is straight out of pimp my ride shout out to exhibit no idea what he's up to these days (laughs) there is a little trick that i'm so afraid to talk about on these airways because everything that we have brought up lately we have been manifesting bad car vibes And I can't even say it. It's that pivotal, this little tiny hack. So I'm not going to put that out there into the world, but just know it's one of those things that exhibit would let out that incredible laugh if he ever saw that. And it was on MTV. It could definitely be. You're you're not going to say it? I can't because then if it goes wrong, I'm going to look back on this moment and say, Connor, you idiot. Okay. You've had so many car issues. Just trust me when I say this thing. If you ever ride in our car, you'll know, which (laughs) 99.9% of you, you're not getting in my car. And maybe not even this this exact car, because who knows, maybe by the time you're listening to this, this car will have already died. Hopefully not. Please don't die. Need you to live for a very long time. Just give me another year. Another year. That's all I ask for. Don't ask for much. You're already in the the bargaining part of the seven stages. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We've been in bargaining for the last two days. You're collectively bargaining. The car has unionized. The car has. The car is saying we will not work. It's August it's in strike. Florida. It's, it, it's hard right now, man. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. All right. I understand. Just another year. Well, 
we'll give you the franchise tag. Okay. Let you do your thing afterwards. Or I'll give you a roll the front office when you're done. Come on, man. Yeah. Ownership stake, the whole deal. Okay. Make it happen for you. I think that's a pod. We covered all of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it. If you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe. Tell somebody else to subscribe. College football content is so plentiful right now on the Saturday Football Network. Saturday down south, everybody knows, but SaturdayOutWest.com. You're a Florida fan. You want to read up on some great Utah stuff. We've got great Utah content up right now. You know I'm a fan of that. Saturday Road is our ACC site. Go and get yourself some great ACC content. Become a more diverse college football fan. Become a more knowledgeable college football fan. Be able to bet opening weekend and know what the hell you're talking about. We've got Saturday Tradition, the Big Ten site that I may or may not have, but definitely did come down to Orlando to start. Make sure that you check that out as well. Get all that great information. Learn about everything going on in college football right now through Saturday football. And please, please, please join the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. about any animals you've had die in your car? Please. Please please do that. If you had a a rat blow up in your glove department, yeah, just let us know. Please. Great place to be able to share those things. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.